0: Just go to Indeed.com slash wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Eggman is intercepted by Sam Mills. Steve oh. Smith is going to go all the way. Panthers win in overtime. Newton steps up. Close for the end zone. Olson. Touchdown by Moore and in the foot race, McCaffrey to the end zone. He pounded on it.
1: Welcome to another episode of The Roar, brought to you by Blue Wire. I'm your host, Billy Marshall, and we will preview the upcoming opponent for the Carolina Panthers, the New Orleans Saints, with a guest in one moment. But before we do. I want to speak to some of the discourse that's surrounding the Carolina Panthers offense at this point. Um, Just a short section here, just my own thoughts. Many of you heard John and I kind of go into some of the reasons why we felt the offense wasn't performing very well Uh, at this point. I just noticed Dan Orlovsky from ESPN. uh, He posted a video, um, or at least he did a segment on NFL Live detailing some of the issues with the Panthers offense and Um, He focused on the shotgun tendencies and where people are lining up. And I'm not sure that's a very accurate representation of the issue surrounding this team right now. Uh, The issues offensively have nothing to do with where they line up in the shotgun. Um, The issues are much more macro than that. If you go to YouTube and look up Chip Kelly, Oregon, offense, inside zone, outside zone. Uh, There's this guy who used to do these videos, and he essentially gave the tells as to when Oregon, at the time under Chip Kelly, would run an inside zone or an outside zone, or when the quarterback would keep it in those situations, and defenses still couldn't stop them. Chip Kelly and Oregon had an explosive offense. Shotgun tells, it's very... A lot of nfl teams do this this isn't unique to the panthers so uh, using that to make his point i I just i disagree with it okay i wish he would look at why they're having issues in the red zone uh, why they're struggling to move the ball why can't they have success on first and second down and to me that comes from some very basic pass concepts um they're isolating wide receiver routes There's no schematic innovation that's being done. Uh, The offensive coordinator is not adding in pre-snap movement or shifts or motion to really create conflict for the defense. Those are areas that need to improve, not shotgun tendencies and alignment. I I really don't care about that at this point. It's week two. Teams are going to break their tendencies by week eight, week nine. We see it all across the NFL, even the the great offenses at this stage, they are in some ways predictable because they want to execute their offense and then they want to build off of it by the middle of the year and later in the year when teams, like let's just say you're a great NFL offense, you're, you have ambitions to be in the Super Bowl, you're going to break your tendencies into playoffs because you don't want a great defense to know what you're calling in that situation. So I really have no issue with the alignment and where McCaffrey is being lined up and what type of predictability or tell it is. I understand defenses know about it, but there are bigger issues than that to me. So I just wanted to speak in that real quickly. That's all I really have to say. Hopefully the Panthers really uh, pick it up this week and figure out a way to create some matchup advantages for themselves and really deliver uh, a good performance here at home. Uh, and now we will get to our interview. And now we are joined by our guest to help preview the New Orleans Saints, Kevin Wash. You can find him on Twitter, at Kevin Wash Jr. He uh, co-hosts the New Orleans Football Podcast at New Orleans And that site, I, I can't recommend it enough. Obviously, led by Nick Underhill, who's been a guest on this show. And they just hired Mike Tripp, who's like... Uh, another guy who's been covering the Saints for years in different outlets so uh, definitely check them out they just did an interview with Sean Payton uh, and who knows what his future holds but uh, let's stick to this game and Kevin what's going on
2: not much man nothing much just glad to glad to be back on you man I think it was what we missed it we skipped the last year I think it was so I think it was maybe the year before when I was on so yeah, um, no,
1: you came on last year actually, one year about a year ago today
2: because we did a uh,
1: the preview for that week two game.
2: Oh, that's wow. right, that's right, that's right, that's right. So that was a year ago. You, it seems like time has been going by so slow, man. So <laughs> like twelve months seems like it's twenty four. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I'm glad to be back, man. Always good to join.
1: Yeah, for sure. And let's kind of uh, stick on this uh, the New Orleans Saints team, this new kind of iteration of it. Uh, not. Obviously, a lot of things have changed, but for the most part, the, the coaching staff outside of the head guy has kind of changed in some ways. I mean, Dennis Allen's now the head coach. Pete Carmichael is the one calling plays. Uh, and you guys rehired Doug Marone to come back as an offensive line coach. And uh, defensively, uh, Chris Richard and um, I forget, Ryan Nielsen, Ryan Nielsen. Are the co-defensive coordinators, two very talented coaches, Nielsen especially. Uh, So just kind of give me your first impressions of this new coaching staff that has been put together.
2: Yeah, that's a good question. On the surface, if you, you know, if if you kind of was looking at the team and thought that Sean maybe had a sick day or, you know, had to step away for a week, then things would seem normal because, you know, they basically, they're running things, you know, pretty similar to how, You know, Sean ran things when he was there. So you'll hear, you know, some of the defensive coaches say that, you know, one of the things that is different from them is that since D.A. is a defensive minded head coach, you know, he'll have to attend some offensive meetings. So the defensive guys have to stay a little bit later sometimes because they're waiting for him to get out of the offensive meetings. But for the most part, you know, things are running, you know, kind of business as usual. And the thought process behind it was, you know, one is D.A. Is, is one of the guys who's built the culture, right? You know, we, we know Sean Payton was the CEO and, you know, he pretty much ran, you know, the Saints, you know, from kind of when you think about the team from top to end. Right. Um, You know, he had a lot of say in draft choices, you know, roster decisions, you know, game gameplay, um, gameplay uh, decision making, et cetera. So, you know, he was, a, he was a big dog in the house. And so now you bring in D.A., and he's someone who helped Sean make those decisions, even though Sean, you know, he, he delegated a lot of that stuff, you know, to some of, to some of his other head coaches. And, you know, he talks pretty openly about that. And so, you know, he is part, he shares the philosophy with Sean Payton, right? So, you know, he, how things are being done and how they're run is, you know, is, is come from, it comes from his brain also. And so you'll hear the players say that we didn't want to change things just to say, we changed it. Like, Oh, we got a new guy. We got to change things. It's not like 2006 when Sean Payton, you know, came and, basically had to flip everything over because nothing was right so yeah it's it's not too it's not too it's not too different uh to be honest with you you know he brought in you know he did do some things he he brought in a new wide receiver coach um curtis johnson had been you know on the you know coaching for the saints for a while even though you know he left and did it you know had another another couple of um coaching jobs and he also uh replaced the strength and conditioner um from he took the guy from alabama and brought him to new orleans so um and um Dr. Reyes, what do you he called him. he call himself a body engineer? It's a pretty interesting name he has on Twitter. But yeah, but other than those things, you know, it's pretty much business as usual for the Saints. And that's that's kind of probably a good thing, right? If you're looking at team building.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's always good to keep a continuity, especially when you're a good team. You don't want to keep continuity when you're like a perennial six, five, one, five, six, seven, one team. Uh, and in this franchise, even last year, despite all of the uh, turbulence that went on with that season in different aspects, whether it was injuries, COVID absences, they still managed to win nine games and were a um, you know, game out of the wild card position uh, and a lot of their underlying numbers, their metrics looked pretty promising uh, despite all those issues with the injuries and um, whatever else kind of helped was part of the reason that uh, derailed their season.
2: So uh, yeah. let's and you make a good point there, and in, in just quickly, you know, that he and D.A. inherited a team that was has a pretty good roster when you look at it, um, you know, front to back. And so, you know, he's mentioned that, he, you know, you're not – usually when you're a head coach, right, the head coach usually doesn't resign or retire, usually gets fired. And so D.A. does realize that, you know, that wasn't the case here. It's a little bit unique here. And he actually uh, – the example he made to Peter King was that It's Thanksgiving. All you got to do is cut the turkey. So that's kind of how he views it. So I thought that was cool. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good,
1: uh, that's a pretty good comparison there. Yeah. So let's stick to some of the additions that you guys brought in this offseason. A lot was made about bringing in Tyron Matthew and Jarvis Landry to former uh, LSU projects and their, their prospects excuse me and two guys who grew up in Louisiana yeah uh, but at the same time uh, you guys had a pretty decent draft as well traded up in the first round to get uh, another first round pick and t- that was used on Chris there uh, excuse me one was used on Chris Salave the other was on Trevor Penning and then drafted Alante Taylor what do you make of the additions that the Saints made this
2: offseason yeah so I'll start with I'll just do it in order starting with the Chris Olave. You know, it, I know a lot of, I hear this a lot and it kind of always makes me think that, you know, whoever's, you know, covering the team is maybe being a little bit of a Homer because in a lot of cases, you, you know, people that cover teams usually they root for the team. And it's like, Oh, this guy doesn't look like a rookie. And you know, the whole notion he's picking things up so quickly. I try to avoid those type of tropes because they, I think they're just overused, but I'll use it with Olave. Um, he's, you know, he's, he, he just looks like he's not a rookie. He's never, never looked like a rookie. You know, I think he had one day in camp where he didn't have a good day, and that was, that was the first day was, you know, when they put on pads. And I wouldn't call it a bad day, but, you know, you can tell it was an adjustment. But other than that, he's looked like a vet. And, you know, it, it, considering what the Saints had last year at wide receiver, you know, he was someone that a lot of fans wanted and clearly, you know, the team also identified that as a position of weakness. So um, he's looked good. I, I don't think there's any question in the building about how good or if he's going to be a good player. I think it's probably just, you know, how good he's going to be. Um, and we'll get into it. But I think, you know, him and James, they don't they're not on the same page right now. Um, hopefully that'll come. But um, so he, he I think that was a that was a home run draft pick. Um, they, they used a lot to go up and get them, <laughs> but, you know, considering where they were and, you know, what the talent that they had at the, at, the, at the position at the time, you know, you can, you can kind of justify it depending on how you view your draft philosophy. Trevor Penning, um, the tackle out of um, uh, Northern Iowa. So he's a fun – so all the things that you heard about him pre-draft, about, you know, the, after the whistle and, um, you know, he gets into a lot of fights and throws, throws guys around. That's pretty much what he did when he came into training camp. You know, it wasn't one of those things where a guy came in and, you know, he's trying to start slow or be humble. No, you know, he came in and he was trying to throw people around. And, you know, I think out of his first three fights, they said that only one was started by him. And, you know, to him, it's, you know, it's kind of like, hey, just play to the whistle. And, you know, guys are maybe not used to that. So um, that was a little bit interesting. But none of that matters because <laughs> how does he run block and how does he pass, pass block? And so um, I think, as you would expect, his run blocking was really good. I think he's a day one NFL run blocker. I agree. Yeah, he just, he just, he's just good at it. It, uh, It's really no other way to explain it. I mean, he can cross the face of a, I saw him uh, cross the face of a three tech on a reach block. And I was like, you know, I was like, he's doing this in the preseason, right? And so um, the athleticism, you know, the the, the play strength, the talent, all, all of that is there. Pass protection is where, you know, he has some work to do, and I think that he realizes that, and the coaching staff realizes that, so, you know, he he had some wins and losses, as you would expect from a rookie tackle early in camp, and then the first preseason game happened, and I think it was against the Texans, and it wasn't pretty. It wasn't pretty at all, but, you know, he came back the next preseason game, I think it was against the Packers, and
1: mm-hmm. I mean, he
2: just made a really big improvement, and it wasn't perfect, but the more, I guess, the, the 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 thing that kept happening was the more that you saw him play, the more you on the, the more he was on the field, the better he got. And at it was looking at some point that he may have passed the starting tackle uh, James Hurst, but you know he got hurt and it, you know it took him out for basically most of it, most of the season. So uh, that was unfortunate because he looked like an ascending player, like a young guy. You know, I don't want to say starting to figure it out, but a young player getting better and getting more confident. And so um, it's going to stun his development. It's not ideal, but um, it's looking like he'll be back at some point this, this season. And then the final guy, Alante Taylor, that's an, that was an interesting pick, right? He, a lot of the fan base wasn't happy with it when it happened.
1: Why? He's a good player,
2: but it, you know how it is. Like, you know, you don't know, <laughs> you don't know a player and I don't know who this is. Cause he really wasn't a guy that a lot of people, you know, spoke about. Right. And then, um, and then they kind of thought that the Saints were set, at, set in the secondary. Well, the minute they saw him on the field, it kind of instantly changed. I mean, the Saints have a they have a type of player, and it's basically prototype. They like big players. They don't, you know, they don't draft small defensive ends. They they like big corners. I mean, they just have a type, and they stick to it. You know, if you see a six eight defensive end and he's available when the Saints pick, <laughs> you know, just that's probably going to be the pick, right? And so um, you know, they just go with prototypes. And so Alante Taylor for them fit the prototype at a really high value position, which is corner. And so, I mean, he's, he looks, he's been hurt in the preseason and, you know, it's he, kind of stunned his development a little bit, but uh, you know, DA, the coach didn't we call him DA, you know, we he's known as a pretty straight shooter. Um, it's kind of welcome. It's a welcome change from Sean Payton to him. Cause he just gives so much more information and um, you know, when he talks about a player, he'd just kind of tell you how you feel about him. And it's, you know, it's really, it's really good to, you know, have a coach that communicates like that. And, you know, he thought that he was a he he liked what he saw, right? He said, I like what I saw, I just haven't seen enough of it because he hasn't been available. And so yeah. that's been that's been the issue with him, is just availability. But when he's been on the field, I mean he looks like he belongs there. He's confident, he's you know, he's a leader, he's a day one leader. Um, yeah, I think he, you know, he has the size, the, the the speed, the agility, the change of direction, the hips to play cornerback, the ball skills, etc. He's smart. Some kind of thought, you know, some people thought he could be a, could be a safety coming out, but I think he's a cornerback. You, if you think a guy is a cornerback, you got to find out about that first. And if he can't play corner, then I think you know maybe you can move him to safety. So, you know, he came into the game after Marshawn Lattimore got ejected this past Sunday, and. I mean, I think he played 14 or 17 snaps. And I mean, he was, I mean, he was all over the place and, you know, he just looked good. He looked fast. He looked quick. He looked like he knew knew what he was doing. So, you know, we'll see, you know, we'll see about that. I think they should do all they can to get him on the field. I have some thoughts about the secondary. We'll probably get into that, but yeah, so far so good on, you know, the first draft picks, at least from as much information as we can tell.
1: Yeah, for sure. And the saints, I, I do think they deserve a little bit of the benefit of the doubt because they have been such a, a good drafting team, especially since Jeff Ireland joined the organization. So yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and the same thing happened last year. I remember, like, people were questioning the Paulson and Debo pick, and he's turned out to be a good player. Uh, but it's weird to me. I mean, Alante Taylor played in the SEC, played at right. Tennessee. It's right a school that you know a lot of people, at least in your area, uh, they should be familiar with. I mean, an SEC program. Uh, those guys, they're, they're certainly. I mean, certainly didn't play at Georgia, Alabama, or. Um, LSU or Texas a Florida, one of the bigger, bigger schools, but still it's right, a right. pretty respectable program in that regard. But let's transition now to each uh, unit. And offensively, it was a struggle bus for you guys last week. And um, it, it was a three, three game uh, Jameis. Uh, he turned into some of the fears that people have about Jameis uh, in that fourth quarter, but uh, it just seemed uh, it, it was, and I'm not sure. The Bucs defense, first of all, they deserve a lot of credit. That's a very good unit as evidenced by the first two weeks of the year. Right, um, right. But the, and obviously last year, uh, the game in Tampa was like nine nothing. So it's, it's been a struggle. A lot of people like to make, you know, how do the Saints always shut down Tom Brady? But at the same time, I think it's uh, the, the Bucks defense has done a pretty decent job on uh, the Saints uh, offense too. And I know you guys had Taysom Hill that day because, a uh, couple quarterbacks were missing, but what happened last week and like, what kind of gives you optimism that it was just a one-time thing against a very good defense, and what kind of fears do you have about this unit that it could be a something to monitor?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. I'll start with fears. The fears is I don't think there's a huge concern about – you know, Jameis and his talent, right? I don't think that's ever been a concern with Jameis, right? I think that he has a he has an aggressive nature as a quarterback, and certain quarterbacks are just aggressive, right? When you look at the kid in, um, oh, well, Las Vegas, a uh, car, right? He's you know he's just he just doesn't he's not an aggressive thrower. Now you'll see him, and he, you know he some throws he don't make, but you know he's probably going to have a lower interception rate, et cetera. Jameis. Is the exact opposite, right? He's an aggressive, he's an aggressive quarterback. It's in his nature. It's just how he's wired. And so the the concern is, and it's not not as much the interceptions. Each interception is different. Jameis has thrown his, you know, his fair share of him, and he, he threw some bad ones this game. I was pretty critical of him. But I think the bigger issue is, you know, is he the type of quarterback that understands that the sooner you get the ball into the hands of Jarvis Landry? Alvin Kamara, Mike Thomas, Chris Olave, et cetera. That's the, that's the right thing for the offense, right? Can he run the quick game? You know, is he someone who's always going to look to throw the ball downfield first when different reads are there, you know, there are some check downs that, you know, there are some passes that he didn't take some open receivers that he didn't take when he threw, you know, two of the interceptions that he had this past week. I think it was two of them. And so, you know, the, you don't want a quarterback who's timid, but you don't want one that's too aggressive. Right. And so, more so than the interceptions. I think the interceptions are the result of the aggressiveness, right? And some other things too, right? It's more to it than that. It's not that simple, but I think that's one of the, for, one of the causes for it. So can he clean that up, right? Can, does he understand that one, two, three, get the ball out, right? Quick game is what a lot of successful quarterbacks do, right, even guys with the, you know, with the arm talent. So I would say, I'd say that would be the concern. If I was to take an optimistic view of it, I would say that they don't have a lot of time on task yet. And you can tell on the field. And the more that they play, the more they're going to be on the same page. Like the first game, him and Mike Thomas just were not on the same page until the last 11 minutes of the fourth quarter. And, you know, and it, I, I think he's had some rapport with Jarvis Landry, but with, you know, Olave, this past game, you know, they think Olave had – Oh my gosh, I don't have many targets, but D you know Da said he went to the well too much. I mean, they just kept they just kept chunking deep balls to Alave, and you know a couple of them connected at the end. But that's not how you that's not how you play offense in the NFL, right? That's not how you win. And so, you know, the more that they play together, I think the the better this offense will be because the talent is there. When you look at the wide receiver group, there's no reason that those guys shouldn't you know, be, be able to be able to produce. And, you know, Mike Thomas is getting a lot of attention early into the season. I guess people think he's back because he was getting double teamed a lot. But, you know, you 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 got to be able to, you know, get those guys the ball and know where there's, those guys are going to be at, you know, the time they're going to be there. And I think that's a challenge right now. Jameis missed time in training camp. Olave's a rookie. Jarvis is a new player. and Mike Thomas was coming off an injury. So those guys just don't have a ton of snaps together. So, That's the optimistic view. If you're you're optimistic about it, you're saying, man, they just need a little bit more time. If you're pessimistic, you're saying, man, can Jameis run this type of
0: offense?
1: Yeah, and I mean, last year, it was different because they had that crazy game in Jacksonville against the Packers. And (laughs) (laughs) expectations at that moment just immediately raised to like a different standard. Uh, Because in my experience, I never saw a Saints offense under Sean Payton get that vertical be able to attack the field I mean, mm-hmm. they were doing 60 yard play action bombs
2: too you know they did that with Drew and but people forget that Drew at one point was like he was the best deep ball you know quarterback in the league not the biggest arm but just efficiency accuracy no I agree yeah yeah and so it's just like they were just taking old plays out of the playbook and I was like man I remember this <laughs> yeah but yeah sure. Uh, But yeah, I,
1: I would agree. I mean, Jameis, he's still, again, a solid NFL quarterback. And I'm just curious on your part, like, is there anything that has changed in the offense as it's transitioned from Sean Payton to Pete Carmichael? Obviously, we know Carmichael has worked with Payton for over a decade. I never called the place. But have you noticed anything different in terms of I mean it's a very small sample size but what have yeah. you seen uh, that's maybe similar or different
2: yeah i would say philosophically no okay right? you see the same type of route combinations you see you know they they're rhythm offense they, they all, they're always trying to get in rhythm you see some of the same plays you see some of the same sets some of the formations etc i think it's early to be able to speak on anything past that you know okay. the run pass ratio the game plan in the first 15 plays, the two minute drill, right? There's so many different aspects to an offense that, you know, kind of go into it. I think that, you know, we're still kind of trying to see what that looks like. And so, you know, when you look at the offense that's being run, it's, it's, it's the exact same offense. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's things that are in there for Jameis that are not in there for Drew and vice versa. But when you look at, you know, the splits and, you know, how much, what are they, what's their percentage of, you know, first down runs, you know, that's the stuff that I'm going to be interested in when we, you know, get deeper into the season and, you know, we're able to get a little bit more information and the analytics start to make a little bit more sense because right now there are a lot of, you know, outliers in the first, you know, few games of the season. So it's a good question. I don't think we have the complete answer to it yet because you have a different play caller so it's impossible for it to be Sean Payton because he's not there but I think I don't think it's going to be a big difference I think at the end of the day I think it's going to be very similar the Saints have always had a very collaborative play calling structure right Sean Payton you know was the, obviously he's a, he's the brainchild behind this offense but you know a, he's not the only one that helped build it right Pete Carmichael was there for him pretty much the entire time that he built it. So I think that it's going to be the same because not because they're trying to be Sean Payton it's just because the guys all think like Sean Payton because they all came up together. So, um, so yeah, that, 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 that's, that's what I, you know, I think that's what you're going to give with the offense. I think it's going to level out. I think it's going to be pretty similar. One thing I would say that one year Sean Payton was um, suspended, they did throw the ball more. So that'll be something to pay attention. Oh to. yeah.
1: That's a good point. Yeah. Um, Okay. And just a quick injury question, Alvin Kamara, what do you feel like his status is? I know he was on the injury report. Uh, We didn't play last week and it looks like he's a limited participant. Just looking at the injury report, do you expect him to play this week?
2: Yeah, I would expect, I would expect AK to play this week. I think that he was kind of close last week, but they didn't want to, you know, they didn't want to expose him to injury too early into the year. You know, they wanted to give him a chance to heal up a little bit more. So yeah, it's looking like he's trending toward playing, but you know how these things change, right? When your guy can have a hangnail on the while uh, going up the stairs and something changes. But yeah, it looks like he's trending toward playing this week.
1: Uh, the same thing for Ramchick, uh Deontay Hardy, and um, Jameis. Well, Jameis, I expect to play, but yeah. the same thing for Ramchek and Deontay Hardy and Traquan Smith. Taysom yeah, would- Hill, too. I think he's a pretty big player for you guys.
2: Yeah, I would say that most of those guys are probably trending toward playing. The one guy that I would that I'm not too sure about is Paulson Adivo. And okay. yeah, he's the one who I'm just he had an ankle injury. I think it happened sometime whenever we were having joint practices with Green Bay, maybe. So we'll see. He was actually voted camp MVP. He, oh, nice. He looked I mean, he was he was good in camp. And I'm very wary of training camp. You know, guys look amazing. And, you know game planning starts and you know things change a little bit and so you know he was someone that I really want to see on field but on on the field you know during games and even in preseason like he looked good so you know he's a he's an important player to this defense because if he's the player and he's I mean we're not saying he's good as Marshawn Lattimore because there's probably two or three corners maybe in the same conversation with him but you know he was looking like a a high-end number two or or number one corner like on some teams right and that's just off training camp you know the games have to be played you know I say that with a grain of salt but yeah if it, it, you know he's the one right and so if he can play and he's healthy then you call a different defense if if they if they view him you know how they say they do and you know as someone who can take care of his side of the field and so if you have two of those guys then everything changes defensively and so He's an important player for this team. And if he gets healthy at some point in the season and meets, you know, kind of plays to what they thought he was, and it'll be interesting to watch.
1: All right, let's switch to the defense now. And I mean, this is a unit that has been at the top of many metrics, rankings, and just overall uh, consistency for at least five to six years now. It, I mean, it's, it's, different now in the sense that you have two defensive coordinators but dennis allen is still calling the defense um are the strengths and some of the weaknesses of this unit still the same uh you know as far as like you know guys are built really well up front with the ends uh maybe some guys are a little unheralded on the interior of the defensive line uh but cameron jordan and marcus guys people know and then you guys drafted a couple years uh go peyton turner in the first round and, then, um, and the linebacker is still demario davis remains one of the better ones and then uh p warner has taken uh, a sophomore leap he looks like one of the uh, best linebackers in the league right now he's been then, the
2: best player on the defense <laughs> i'll just that's um, really maybe encouraging over maybe over than Marshawn Lattimore because he's re- but yeah you, you you spot on about pete warner
1: yeah, that's that's encouraging for my own personal opinion, just because I liked him so much coming out of Ohio State. Oh, nice, uh, nice, nice. But, that
2: feels good, right, when you get the guy right. <laughs>
1: that's, that's a good feeling. Uh, but, no, there's obviously questions in the secondary because of uh, – I mean, nothing really has to be said about the uh, Marshawn Lattimore. He remains an elite corner. Uh, but you guys did trade away. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, Marcus Williams signed a big deal with the Ravens. Uh, you guys replaced him with Marcus May. Uh, and obviously Adebo is on the injury report this week, as you said, so he can, uh, there's a chance he won't be able to play this week. I mean, just what do you envision this defense and what are some areas that concern you as far as like uh, areas that an offense could really exploit?
2: I think that the areas to exploit, the number one thing, I think, you know, I think even maybe DA would tell you the same thing is if you got a quarterback and he, if he 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 can run, if you can run some some read option type plays, if you can make it eleven on eleven, they that's just something that they've struggled with. It's just something that they're still figuring out. It's as crazy as it sounds, you know. It's just as good as this defense defense is as fast as they are. It's just something that. You know, I mean, when they play Philly, it's just a nightmare, right? Every time they play Philly, Philly was like the only team that runs on them, right? And then the Mariota was running it all over. Yeah, your- and then week one, right? Exactly. And I think the Mariota thing was it was a little bit of the obviously the way they played defense that game, and it was a little bit of unknown. You know, I thought that Arthur Smith did everything he could to mask Mari, Mar- um, you know, Marcus Mariota, and he did, right? He masked a lot of what he's not good at, and. um, you know, I think that in the week one that you can get away with that stuff a lot easier than week eight and week nine. And so, you know, I think they just I think they kind of outcoached the Saints that game in some ways, um, up until a certain point. And then, you know, well, out coach is not the right word because that's that's like that's too simple. But I thought they had some good they they had some good moves on the chessboard in certain situations that they were able to capitalize off of. And so um, so yeah, I would say if you can if you're a running quarterback, you know then I, I think that that's, that's definitely an area where, you know, like you got to run pass option. That's something that they're probably still figuring out. The interior is not strong, but it hasn't manifested itself on the field. And that's interesting because when you look inside, you see David on Yamada, who's he's a good player, but he's not, you know, he's no, he's not someone you would say is like a pro bowl level player. Right. And then the other tackle is shot total. Right. I think you know, they have another guy, Malcolm Roach, who's having a good, good training camp. He's on a four-week hour. He'll be back. Um, they brought uh, Ringo off the, off the practice squad, or, you know, he signed to the practice squad and, 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 and promoted him recently. He wasn't with him during training camp. And so, you know, the inside is the area where you look and say on paper, they should be able to exploit this, but it just never tends to really play out that way on the field. And so you don't really get a lot of strong pass rush from that area, but you can you can move Cam Jordan inside. You can move Marcus Davenport inside. You got, you know, long, tall defensive ends that you can run stunts with on nickel downs. And so you're, you're, you, you know, good observation about it. But, in, and I think when we look at the team and look at weaknesses, we always talk about, you know, um, backup running back, tight end in the interior defensive line. And so, um, but yeah, it's just something that it just doesn't manifest itself on the field. And I think that's credit to, one, the players that they have in there because, you know, they're not Pro Bowl players, but they, you know, they get the job done and two, just how they run their defense. Um, Second level, uh, you know, I think, you know, Demario Davis, I think, you know, he's been one of the better linebackers in the league last few years. Um, Same player. You know, we just spoke about Pete Werner. You feel pretty good about there. They're playing Caden Ellis a lot now. And I've seen them use him quite a few times where, you know, he, he, He'll green dog if the running back stays in for for protection and, you know, you know, he'll cover him out of the backfield. He's there at linebacker. So, and they they use him as a rusher at times too. So, uh, you know, there are other guys who we thought would be ahead of him during training camp, but he seemed to have, but DA kept speaking about him all through training camp. And it seems like it played on the field. Um, And then, you know, for a third linebacker, you don't need someone that's a pro bowler. You just need a guy who can get their job done. And, you know, he does that pretty well. The secondary, it depends on who's playing, and, dep- and it depends on how they deploy the guys that are available. If Debo's back and he's healthy and you get Roby in the slot, I think that's the best version. And we're just talking the cornerbacks in the slots here. I think that's the best version of the Saints defense. With the Debo injury, they've been playing Roby on the outside and Justin Evans on the inside. That's, they've had mixed, mixed results there. They've had mixed results there. Tampa started and attacked the slot early in the game. DA adjusted, and then they shut that down. Um, But I would definitely say that that's the weakest position in the secondary. right? Or the secondary can be had in certain places just due to injury. And it's kind of a double, right, because you lose a cornerback to injury for a couple of games, and then you trade Chauncey Garner-Johnson. So it's a little bit of a double hit there. But, you know, I think that if Roby can stay in the slot, and, again, Adebo was back, I think, and healthy. I think then that's that's going to be – you're not going to be able to look at any spot and say, hey, that's a weakness. Um, and also maybe I, – I brought it up, but I think that maybe you can even keep Roby in the slot and just play the rookie, um, Alante Taylor. So we'll see what they do there. Apparently, Roby – and, I, you know, I don't really get to go to the training camp practices because I'm in Texas and, you know, it's not New Orleans. But, you know, apparently, Roby had a really good training camp. And, you know, pretty much the entire media – a, you know, they, that was a consensus. I'm not so yet. I'm just not so yet. And it's not because I don't think that he's a good player. It's just, I haven't seen it. Right. I haven't seen enough information. I don't, I don't have enough evidence to, you know, to support the fact that he, you know, he played so well in training camp. So yeah, I do think that there's a couple of spots in the secondary when there's injuries that you can, you know, you can maybe have some success, but I don't think that means that they're vulnerable secondary. I just mean that, you know, there's some open questions and then, Um, Yeah, you spoke about the safeties just real quick there. They lost Marcus Williams and Malcolm Jenkins, um, and they brought in Tyron Matthew and Marcus May. Marcus Williams, I I still don't disagree with them letting him out the building, right? Really? Marcus Williams was so good. He he was the best. I think he's the best. He's rare. It's really hard to find a young safety that can play single high. Like, show me the other single high safeties in the NFL with his range. I, I think he, yeah, he was just, I mean, I think he got two interceptions already. <laughs> I mean, he's got ball skill, speed, you know, he, he became a pretty solid tackler. Um, and that's, and he's a young player that you drafted and developed. That's a tough loss, right? And I think there was a few million apart, you know, how that stuff works. Um, with that said, if you was to ask DA, and with the, well, the thing about Marcus Williams, that he is a free safety, right? He's a free safety. He's, he's a one position player. He's not versatile. He doesn't disguise. I mean, all safeties do, but you know that's pretty much what he—that's what he do, right? And so, if you was the XDA, da to be honest, how does he want his safeties? I think it. I think that he would want. And I'm just talking philosophically. The style of safeties that he has with May and Tyron Matthew, versus what he had with Malcolm Jenkins and Marcus Williams, just because. You know you, it's kind of like, and I'm not saying that they're like the guys from Buffalo because Buffalo has the best safeties, um, in, in the NFL, um, uh, Michael Hyde and Jordan Poirier. But I think that the fact that those guys can both have similar skill sets with certain strengths and certain weaknesses, but you can't really, you know, pinpoint them formationally based on how those guys are deployed. I think that's how DA wants to run defense, and so. I think that's kind of what went into And this is my personal belief. There's no reporting on this, but I just think he said, Hey, well, if we're off on Marcus Williams, then, you know, let's, let me bring in some guys who are kind of combo safeties, right? Marcus may has played the slot. Tyron Matthews played the slot. Marcus may played strong safety. Tyron Matthews plays strong safety, free safety, same thing with both of them. So I think that's how he wants to run his defense. And I think the, I think it kind of lined up, you know, they couldn't come to terms with Marcus Williams on the, the, the contract number. And you know, these two guys were available in free agency and they, you know, they both were kind of combo safeties. And I think that's, you know, I think that's kind of how they came to it. So they've been pretty good. They've been pretty good. Marcus may is, a, you know, he's, he's been aggressive. He's they've, they've been pretty good so far. So um I think there's been one coverage bust in the first couple of games, but um, so far so good on, 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 on you know, with the safeties.
1: Yeah. Even the touchdown Brady threw last week, it was a great throw because the coverage was super tight and he just placed it in uh, the only area where uh, Paramount can make the reception. So, and again, yeah. your defense only gave up what 13 points. Uh, the other touchdown uh, was scored on the pick six. So, um,
2: yeah. And uh, I mean, and, you know, it was, I think they had given up three points up until, you know, a certain point in the fourth quarter. And then I think they determined the, yeah, the interception. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, I think that DA said that they played that game exactly how they wanted to up until they stopped playing it how they wanted to. <laughs> so basically the three, three game is where they want it to be. Right. That's a good game. Cause the saints are going to trust their defense every time. Right. Yeah. And you know, it's, and they should, especially against the bucks. And I mean, they dominated Tom Brady again, but you know, the team that makes the first mistake usually loses in those type of games. And that's something that, you know, as a Sean Payton thing kind of came back like, okay, with Sean, I've lost this game. So I think that's crazy. I think it's too soon for that. But, you know, people start asking those questions when, you know, we kind of get a little uncharacteristic and start making these mistakes that we typically typically didn't see of the team. Yeah, for sure.
1: All right, Kevin, as we close out here, like what's – I'm not going to hold you to a prediction, but what is one matchup that, in your opinion, is going to be key to determining if the Saints win this game?
2: I think it's definitely – going to be the Bucs. Well, definitely is a strong word. <laughs> that sounds definitive. But I'm looking at the Bucks, Um, the Bucs, uh, the Panthers' uh, defensive line versus the Saints' offensive line. I'm still paying attention and in, in, in kind of monitoring to see what type of the offensive line they're going to have this year. Are they a good group? Are they an average group? Are they below average, et cetera? So, you know, what does that look like? The first game the Falcons got after them, <laughs> right? And they got after them mostly with, with pressure, right? I mean, it was some one on one wins also. Grady Jarrett is one of the most underrated players in the NFL, in my opinion. But, um, but yeah, I think that that's an area where I think there's still some questions, right? Cesar Ruiz is, I mean, he's, you know, he's a, he's a, he hasn't really played up to his draft position yet, right? So he's someone that who looks good at times, but also has his moments. And so, you know, can you attack the right guard? You know, James Hurst is a solid starting tackle, but he's you know, he doesn't he's someone that you would look at if you got a good, you know, good edge player like Burns and say, Hey, I think I can win this matchup. So yeah, I just think the offensive line and paying attention there and seeing, you know, seeing if those guys can continue to hold up. They did they, the protection in spite of six sacks, I thought the protection was pretty good against Tampa. And a lot of the things are jam Jameis holding on to the ball and you know not getting the ball out. So um, yeah, I think that's the big thing. That can the offensive line hold up and can Jameis you know, make it, you know, protect his offensive line because that's what good quarterbacks do. So um, I'm watching that. And I would say the second thing is, can, can the Saints generate some easy offense, right? Can Pete Carmichael call up some plays, get James some easy wins, get him to a rhythm, get the offense into a rhythm? You know, when the Saints offense is working, it, it, you know what it looks like. They're, they're changing packages. Every three plays, you got eight new guys coming into the you know into the game they got tackles playing tight end you know just and the offense just looks a certain way so can Pete mark keep carmichael get the offense to the point where they're in rhythm you know they're making some easy you know they're getting some easy offense from james getting them into a rhythm and 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 and, you know i think that's gonna be the big thing because i don't think there's really gonna be you know we don't really go into games looking at the saints defense saying hey you know, these guys are going to struggle, right? We, I think when you just look at this, you know, you just feel like they're going to be able to have success against every offense. So all the questions, at least in the short term, are going to be on the offense side of the ball.
1: Yeah. Well, that makes sense. And uh, pretty interesting. The Saints, they opened their season here with three division.
2: I know, football. man, that's crazy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's probably yeah. a good thing. Who knows because Carolina and Atlanta are struggling and uh, you guys had an opportunity uh, against Tampa last week, especially
2: at home. But yeah. And I will say one thing, though, no, I, it, the secondary, I'm still just waiting to. I'm just waiting to see if if you know. I'm just waiting to see what's going to happen if 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 Paulson the Devil doesn't play. Right? But Are they going to put?
1: No, I was just going to say like this isn't going to be a situation like last year where you guys were missing
2: like all your oh, coaches yeah. or oh, a yeah, bunch yeah, of yeah. players
1: due <laughs> to COVID. You that guys should game. still be pretty healthy going into this week.
2: Yeah, yeah, I agree. But I think looking at what they do. On that part of Paulson the D, don't play, will be interesting to me. Like, do you like, or do you choose Justin Evans in the slot and Roby outside, or Roby in the slot and Alante Taylor outside? So, yeah, I just think that that's interesting if, if Adibo isn't able to go Sunday. So, that's something to watch.
1: Okay, well, I really appreciate it. And Kevin, thanks again for joining us. Uh, everyone, you can find him on Twitter at Kevin Wash Jr. Uh, and you'd please, again, follow there work over at neworleans.football tremendous amount of content for the saints and it's always good to get a perspective of uh, your division raffle no matter how you feel about them uh, <laughs> just to see how uh, things are going on with them and just getting their perspective on another nfl organization uh, it's always welcome uh, no matter what kind of uh, fan tensions you might have but uh, <laughs> kevin man i really appreciate it thanks again
2: Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Um, Always good to chat with you. And, uh, you know, we DM each other kind of regularly. So um, when when you asked me to come on, I was like, yep, let's pick a day. Let's do it. So um, appreciate you having me here, man. It's good to have a good chat. Yeah. Thanks, man.